the 272nd edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. This is the Four Corners Podcast. I'm the luckiest guy in the world, I've said that, to be in Chapel Hill, to be at the University of North Carolina. We win 54 to 53, North Carolina did it. North Carolina wins the championship. With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! You're on way to Worthy, Worthy 5, the Tar Heels are going to win the national championship! Weber front court, Carolina with foul, he takes the timeout, they're out foul. of timeout, technical foul, technical foul on Michigan, they're out of timeout. Front court, Williams on the drive, gets it back out to head, long outside shot, short rebound, it's May, it's over, Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72, and how about them Tar Heels, they are the national champions. I've been the luckiest coach in the world. Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot. That's it. The Tar Heels are the national daggum champion. Carolina has been tested and tried and been proven successful through all the years. And the way that we will play will be the Carolina way. My love for North Carolina, I mean, I love this school, I love these fans, and I love everything about it, and I would I would die for this school, I really would. Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony here with you guys once again, getting you ready for the Tar Heels and UC Riverside, the second Highlander mascot team that the Tar Heels will face in the first three games of the season Ooh. as UC Riverside makes their way to Chapel Hill um, Friday night at 8 p.m. on the ACC Network. We'll tell you all you need to know about the Highlanders, get you up to date on Carolina, have a discussion topic for you as well. Then, of course, give our keys to a Carolina victory. But You know what they say. Whenever you meet the Highlanders, throw out the record books. Okay. Um, wow. Was not prepared for me to be interrupted with, with that with that take. But uh, that's what you contribute around here is interruptions and sometimes good takes. That one, not one of the best ones. Now we move to the pod thought of the day. And and we go to the GOAT, we go to Michael Jordan, and his quote is, his heart is what separates the good from the great. And um, we've talked about going from good to great a lot on the Tar Heel football side of things. That is to be determined depending on how they finish out their season. We'll determine if it was a good season or a great season uh, for, for that program. But I think you know, when you look at this this quote, I think it separates Carolina from what they've been for six weeks under Huber Davis and what they've been the other year and a half under Huber Davis. And when you look at what went wrong last year, man, we can talk a lot about the roster just didn't fit. There was chemistry that didn't fit. You can also just look at it and say there wasn't a lot of heart in that team. There wasn't a lot of fight in that team. How many times does Carolina basketball lose four straight games ever, let alone during the non-conference portion of the season and then intertwine with an ACC game in December? It doesn't happen very often. We remember a game at Wake Forest 
where Carolina just looked lifeless. Um, you look at the home game against Duke, where kind of like the year before when the game was at Duke in the regular season, if Carolina would have won the game, they probably would have been in the tournament despite having an underwhelming season. But they didn't have the type of fire, the type of compassion that you got to have in, in, in those types of games. It's just two games this year. There's a long way to go. But as much as Carolina looks differently with their, their tactics, with their rotation, the biggest evidence is that there's more fire, there's more care with this team. And that's a big reason why they've looked the way they've looked in the first two wins. Yeah, I mean, it's a team I think that has learned from last year. I, I think more than anything, the guys that are here uh, that played a big role in that team a year ago are taking it personally. And, you know, a lot of other guys, like I've said, you know, a couple of times when we've talked about some of these guys, you know, they're either coming from smaller schools or they're coming from uh, major conference schools that, frankly, weren't all that great. So. It's an opportunity for everybody to step up and to be better, and it feels like the chemistry is really just there. But going from good to great, I think this is going to be the time where they start to prove it. They're now two games into the season. They have to start settling in, and I get it. You, you've had, you know, th- there's a lot of time off in between these first three games. Um it's it's uh, frankly amazing how much time they seem to be getting in between these games, um, but I, I do think that you know you you look at the first game you know the, the, for the most part Radford was in that the majority of the way the second game Carolina was able to put some distance between them and Lehigh and feel comfortable coming down the stretch and now you know the third game I'm not going to say it's one that you want to dominate and we'll talk a little bit more about UC Riverside but it's one that you know it would feel good for you to come out and put together a 60 minute performance and be, be comfortable really the entire second half. I think that's ultimately what you're looking for, right? Well, hopefully they play 40 minutes and not 60. Okay, that would yeah, that would make sense. I'm still in a football state of mind. But 40, I mean, the thing is, is that you're hoping that they can actually put together a full game because so far you've had moments in both of these games where the opponent has. Not, I mean, you've had but the opponent has had leads in both of these games, but really in the second half, there there was a time in both of these games where the opponent really felt like they had a chance to win it. You would prefer that this be one of those types of games that they don't feel like that, um, and you can. And, and I think that's a step towards be going from good to great is absolutely dominating these types of opponents. Uh, the the way that I, I think this team is capable of doing it's just the first two games they've had some trouble doing that. I, I don't think you should look into the fact that Carolina didn't dominate Radford and Lehigh and look at it negatively. Those are two good basketball teams. Those are two those are two teams that make it into the NCAA tournament. No one's gonna be sitting there at selection Sunday being shocked. To be fair, Radford was picked to finish sixth in their conference. Yeah, so. that that doesn't yeah, that you know, the kinda like whenever we, we, we make preseason predictions, they're meaningless. Um they're they're two good teams, two good programs. Carolina should have you should have expected Carolina to be pushed. I'm not saying that I didn't, but I'm saying going from good to great, if we're having that conversation and we're trying to do that early in the season, then be just absolutely dominating this UC Riverside team from the word go 
would be a, a step towards that. Now, to me, I think you could still have the type of performance that you've seen here, still be working through some things. And as, as long as you pick up some significant wins, whether it's Tennessee, Kentucky, God forbid you find a way to beat UConn, like those are the types of games that, okay, that will really show you whether you're in that great category. But I think if you start to dominate some of these lesser non-conference opponents too, I think in, in, in a lot of Toriel fans' minds, you, you could you could get there even before you get to some of those games. Well, this is going to be the first time that Carolina's played a quote-unquote lesser mid-major. Even, even though this is a program that last year went – 22 and 12 and 14 and 6 in the Big West. They finished third in their conference. They lost in the semis of the conference tournament, but you know they're one and two to start this year. Um, they lost four of their, of their top five scorers from a year ago, um, including Zion Pullen, who led the conference in scoring at 18.3 points per game. And their lone win so far this season came against a school with the name of UC Merced. That's the that's the team that they beat. Okay. Um, on opening night, not very familiar with that school, and but, they beat uh, them by seven. Yeah. So this is again, record wise, they would tell you from last year. Well, this is a quality mid major. This year, they've taken a step back. A preseason pick to finish seventh in the Big West, um, and, and you could see why when you lose four of your top five scores, including your leading scorer who led the conference a year ago, that that expectations will be will be lesser than they were this time last season. Um, they only have two guys averaging double figure scoring. Uh, Barrington Hargris leads the team with twelve point three points, two point seven rebounds. With four assists, but one thing to note, he is shooting 50% from the field and 50% from three. Um, and the other guy in double figures is Isaiah Moses, 10 points per game, 1.3 rebounds, 3.3 assists, shooting 36% from the field and 36% from three. And he's a transfer from the College of Southern Idaho. Oh, of course. Despite being the 2020 Gatorade Player of the Year um, from the state of Alaska. So, used to be if you were a great player from Alaska, like Carlos Boozer, you wound up in Durham, North Carolina. In today's game, you wind up at the prestigious College of Southern Idaho. Um, and, and so, this is one thing I look at and say, like, this, like th- yes, this is the first opponent that I think it's – how it looks matters, um, and the way that it looks matters. Like this should be a game, in all honesty, that Carolina puts away and puts away early. I didn't expect that the first the first two games. I thought the game would still be quote unquote in the balance in the second half, but I was also never worried because of the way Carolina played. They were playing the right way. They were going to get rewarded with the result that they were looking for. Completely different from a year ago. Carolina was playing close game after close game with even lesser mid-majors because they weren't playing the right way. They weren't playing as a team. They weren't competing on the defensive end of the court. So they weren't being rewarded um, with the with, with the desired results, you know, in terms of just the way that they put the ball in the basket and the way that they played overall as a team. And so... Um, you know, UC Riverside is your your, your prototypical mid major in that they're going to shoot the three ball and shoot it frequently. Um, they average over thirty two threes 
uh, attempted per game, which is ninth most in the country. Um, and we saw Carolina have some issues with the way that Lehigh uh, ball screened them um, on, on, on Sunday afternoon in the Smith Center. But unlike Radford, uh, who was able to finish at the lane against Carolina, this team is shooting 37% from two-point territory, which is 357th in the country. And now I'm going to let you in on it. They're not really shooting that well from beyond the arc either. I know they're taking 32 a game. They are shooting 28% from outside. Yep, no, this is a volume three-point shooting Yuck. team. Um, but like again, like we the first two mid majors that Carolina played were mid major programs that could play big boy basketball. They didn't have to rely so much on one thing or the other. We saw Lehigh, yes, shoot a lot of threes because they didn't have a lot of size. Um, so it made a lot of sense to try to make Carolina guard five out. Um, but this one, no, this is this is mid majors. This is analytics. This is this is the way that we're going to play. Which they know that that UC Riverside knows this is the only way that they can play. But for the first time all year, um, this is the first opponent that Carolina should control from the opening tip. I mean, yeah, you you talked about. I mean, their best player he doesn't even start for them. Uh, Barrington Hargris is a guy that comes off the bench for that team. Now he still plays twenty four minutes. But they're a weirdly constructed team. I mean, as you mentioned, this is a team that I just, uh, through graduation and probably through the transfer portal, they got shredded um, from a year ago. And so they don't really have much left. It's a shell of itself. I mean, you see Merced, by the way, I looked it up. That is an NAIA school. That they almost lost to. So not even Division Two or Division Three. NAIA. That's how, I mean, ooh. And, I mean, look, they got destroyed by Utah. They lost to Portland, who Carolina played, uh, was it last year? Uh, so, I mean, look, I, I think this should be one of those games that Carolina disposes of their opponent pretty quickly. Um but as you mentioned, yeah, it is a team that is three happy. We've seen the first two teams that uh, Carolina has played have success from beyond the arc. Uh, those are probably two of the better shooting nights that you're going to see. I know Radford and Lehigh are both good programs. I think Lehigh um, definitely is a team that you could see in the NCAA tournament. I think that is more than possible unless the Colgate Raiders once again find their way there. They, by the way, almost upset Syracuse the other night as well. So they're apparently good once again. But uh yeah, I, I, I think this is a team that, you know, is going to have the opportunities. Maybe they come out and have their best shooting night of the year as well from beyond the arc because it always feels like that happens against Carolina. But I think more than likely, uh, you know, this is a team that Carolina should be able to take advantage of on the defensive end of the floor because of how poorly they're shooting. And then they should be able to take advantage of them on the offensive end of the floor as well because – and this is a team defensively that is just not good at all. I mean, teams are teams are shooting just 16 threes a game against this team. Now, they're shooting a high percentage as well, which probably says more about the teams that are shooting them than the other way around. But it's a team that lets up uh, nearly 40 attempts inside of the uh, three-point arc 
per game. They allow a four. They allowed forty seven percent from the field to opponents, which is three hundred and fourth in the country. So, I mean, you're talking about a team that cannot defend, that cannot score. I mean, this is a chance for Carolina, I think, to feel pretty good about themselves and potentially run away with a victory uh, on Friday night in the Smith Center. Let's take a look at this game from the Carolina perspective. Carolina enters 2-0, um, and despite a 2-0 first week of the season, they did slip a spot in the AP poll. Uh, they're now ranked 20th in the country. Um, Carolina has three guys averaging double-figure scoring, led by Armando Baycott, who's averaging 23.5 points, 16.5 boards, all while shooting 60% from the field. R.J. Davis, 17.5 points, Three and a half boards, one and a half assists, shooting 50% from the field, 36% um, from three. Then you got Harrison Ingram, the other guy in double figures, 13 points, five and a half boards, two assists, shooting 50% from the field, and 38% from three. And one little early statistical nugget that does stick out um, for Carolina is teams are making just six foul shots per game against Carolina, which is 11th fewest in the country. And teams are attempting just seven free throws per game, which is the third fewest in the country. So um, we, we 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 talked all off season long that um, this is a this team has the potential to be very good defensively. There's versatility, there's length, there's depth, there's everything you need. You got a rim protector in Armando Baycott, but the, I think the one thing you know is you, you've you've done a really good job defending without fouling. And that was a staple of this program under Coach Smith, where they would usually um, have double the free throws made against the the the, the uh, opponents attempted. Um, and Carolina is well on their pace uh, to that type of number so far uh, with, with the way that they've defended to start the season. Before we get to our keys to the game, I just want to have a, a, a discussion because this is the last tune-up for Carolina before the schedule gets real next week at the Battle for Atlantis. And even though Carolina opens the Battle for Atlantis Atlantis against Northern Iowa, a mid-major program, we know that over the three days in the Bahamas, Carolina is going to get tested. There's a bunch of uh, quality teams in that field, um, even though Carolina should probably have a pathway at least to the final. If not, um, they'll definitely enter the, the, the favorite probably to win the event. So with Carolina having played two games, um, and this being the third, but none of them against, you know, Division One power, big six competition. What area does Carolina need to clean up the most before they make the trip to the Bahamas? I, I mean, I, I think really there's two areas that probably stick out the most, one on each side of the ball. The first one def- defensively is they've got to find a way to defend ball screens better um, because remember last year, this was a big part of Carolina's downfall in their Feast Week tournament as well. I mean, they they were ball screened to all get out against Iowa State. Um, had similar, uh, well, I, I mean, Alabama wasn't nearly as heavy as, as Iowa State was ball screen-wise. But you know that that's something, especially after watching it against Lehigh, that teams are going to try to take advantage of. So I think that's definitely an area 
or you want to see Carolina get a little bit better, a little bit more communication. You want to see certain guys probably fight through uh, some of those ball screens uh, a little bit more aggressively than they have early in the season. Um, so that that's probably the the biggest area for me. And and then one that I think is is right there with it um, that you want to see offensively. But at this point, I don't really think is crucial for Carolina because they are playing so well inside the arc. I think they've you, you, you still want this team to shoot better from beyond the arc because they're not off to the greatest start um, shooting-wise from outside, and you were hoping that that was something that you were going to see with the transfers that they brought in, Harrison Ingram, um, but, but mainly with, with Cormac Ryan, with Pax and Wojcik. But those guys, you know, they're not off to the, hard, to the hottest start from beyond the arc. So I think those are probably the two areas that I look at. But I, I do think that Carolina, as they're currently you know, as they're currently playing, I still think they have a chance to go out there and have some success because, I mean, Northern Iowa, now Northern Iowa I think is better than people give them credit for. Yeah, they've, they've, they're one and one on the season. Their loss was to a North Texas team that made the NCAA tournament last year. So, I think they're they're a quality opponent that Carolina's got to be prepared for. But their second round matchup, I mean, Virginia, or Virginia, geez, Villanova just lost to Penn. Great job, gotta love that. I, I, I mean, I could not stop laughing the other night that they lost uh, to the to to a team that has no business playing against them in just about any other year. Uh, and Texas Tech is certainly not what they were under Chris Beard. So I still think Carolina has a chance to have success. But if they want to go to uh, the Bahamas and come out with uh, a tournament victory. I think those are probably the two areas you look at the most. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing about the the ball screen is one, Carolina's defending them better, or they're they're defending them differently. So there is going to be like you can practice it again and practice all all the time and defend it correctly. But you know, you know, you know what's coming your way in practice. You don't know what's coming your way in the game. And I said this after the Lehigh game, the way that Carolina got screened by them. Um, was what you see from mid majors with the way that I mean, like you, you weren't just double, you were triple staggering screens for them to free shooters open. Also, and I said this, and especially being in person, it was very uh, aware. Their their action is better than some of the ACC action Carolina will see. Like well, Lehigh ran better offense than what you'll see from Boston College, what you're going to see from Louisville, what you're going to see from Georgia Tech. Like you you ran up against a really good offensive well-coached basketball team, which made a lot of sense. Um they're coached by a doctor. So, you know, he he's going to do things. He'll be Duke. He's he's going to do some things and and do them very well. For me, I I think the biggest thing you want to see them clean up is just the turnovers, because their turnovers the other day led to 17 Lehigh points. So as much as anything as to why they were quote unquote in the game in the second half, you know that was a reason why. And then you look at the first game, even though Radford wasn't turning them in into buckets. I mean Carolina committed, I think it was six in the first half and four in the second. Well, if you if you limit those turnovers, maybe the game wouldn't be as close in that area because the three-point shooting, you want to see the ball go in the basket. Yes. They're not taking bad shots. So math will tell you, as good as these shooters are, at some point the ball is going to find the bottom of the net because they're taking the right kinds of threes. There has maybe been all the threes Ellie Cadeau have taken are the only ones I've really complained about. 
Like outside of that, your guys that have the green light to take the, the perimeter shots, they're taking smart ones. Um, they're in the rhythm of the offense. They're in, you know, they're at their spots on the floor. They're 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 good shots to where even if you miss, Armando's in positioning an offensive rebound. So, um, you know, Huber said after the Lehigh game, he's not worried because they're taking good shots. Last year, we should have known from the get go. No, this isn't a good shooting because because their shot selection poor. It's two well, games. They, they just didn't have guys that had any background of of previously being good shooters. Yeah, like, no. It I just, mean, Carolina's it, it got happen. Carolina's got four on the on the court at all times. Now. Yep. You, last year you played with two. Um, well, and, also, I mean, you're you're talking about a team. We talked about it the other day. A team that is just smart and knows what type of shots they have to take, like. It's it's very obvious to me that uh, you know last year it was a team that was just trying to force things over and over again to try to find something. Now part of it was they were not getting as good a looks at the rim as they're getting this year, but it felt like last year there were times where they were just trying to force the outside shot even though it was not going down. I've never really felt like that this year, and really, I mean. I, I, that's the thing. You're you're nitpicking no matter what because I mean even the turnovers like you you've had ten and a half uh, average through the first two games, which is fa- a far cry from where Carolina has been in recent years, where they hovered around twelve thirteen a game um, at, routinely. So I mean that's e- even that area. I feel like for the most part Carolina has taken care of the basketball better because. The the thing was, they were turning it over 12, 13 times a game while pretty much just playing half-court offense, not trying to push the ball up the floor. Part of the reason they're, they're, they're turning the ball over a little bit more now is because they are trying to push the ball up the floor, and they're doing so at times with a guy like Elliot Cadeau, Zayden High, freshmen that are out there trying to sort of learn on the fly. So even that area, I'm not really that concerned about that, I, I think, you know, this team's for the most part they're playing they're they're playing they're playing pretty good basketball. Um, I think it's just you know certain areas that you'd like to see them start to click. I think is probably the better way to put it, um, especially when you talk about shooting from beyond the arc if they want to win the battle for Atlantis. Let's transition now to our keys to the game for UC Riverside. The first one, um, I'm not as concerned about this not happening because Carolina's done a really good job in the first two games in doing this, but it's established Armando Baycott early and often. Um, you know, the dude's averaging 23.5 points, 16.5 rebounds, all while shooting 60% from the field because he's getting the ball in his spots in favorable situations where he's either scoring, getting fouled, or getting fa- or scoring while getting fouled and going to the free throw line where he's 11 of 12 um, to start the season. As you could imagine... Um, you know, this is a team that is not going to have the requisite size or depth to keep up with one of the best big men in the country. And, and so this needs to be the first the first thing uh, that the Carolina tries to do to establish early control uh, of the basketball game. And they've done this the first two games to, to, to start. They've, they've gotten their best player the ball. He's put the ball in the basket to really set the tone um, from the onset. Um, be interesting to see how he looks to build off his third 2020 game because he was simply phenomenal and dominant on Sunday against Lehigh um, and, and can really continue to, to make it known 
in the year of the big man in college basketball where you've got Zach Eady at Purdue, um, Hunter Dickinson, who just went off last night for Kansas in their win over Kentucky, um, Kyle Filipowski down the road at Duke. I feel It feels like Armando Baycott's been the forgotten guy despite being in college for five years. Another big performance here can remind the college basketball world that he's still one of the best bigs in the country. Yeah, and I mean, the expectation should be that he should be able to dominate this game, and it's why they, they should be looking to feed him. Um, yeah, make it easy on yourself. You know, don't don't try to force things which they haven't done so far this year. And I think that will definitely be the game plan because, look, size wise, they do have guys that compare to him. They have two guys on the roster that are six eleven. The problem is for them. Neither one of those guys averaged more than 4.7 rebounds per game. So it, it's guys that are big, but it's guys that cannot rebound. So, I mean, they're struggling against the likes of Merced or whatever the hell the name of that uh, school was again. If you're struggling to rebound against them, how in the world are you going to handle a guy in Armando Baycott who I, I said it when we talked uh, last time. I think that this is a guy that you can see is clearly – much healthier at this time this year than he was a year ago. Um, and y- you could say that's either because of, you know, an injury. You could say that's because he's lost weight. Whatever. It, it looks like a guy that is simply in better shape and ready to go, and he is dominating because of it. I don't think they're going to have any answer for Baycott inside, and that's the reason why you need to, you know, find a way to get him the ball early and often. And the other thing is, is continue to be aggressive driving the lane because it feels like there's going to be opportunities there. I said it earlier. This is a team that is allowing 40 field goal attempts inside of the arc so far this year. They're, they're a team that a lot of people are, are able to bully inside, and so I think that needs to be Carolina's uh, approach to this game is attack the paint and do it often. The second key, um, and you should have been able to, to, to kind of pick this out once we went over the stats for what UC Riverside does or what they're going to try to do, Carolina's got to defend the three-point line. Um, as we mentioned, this is this is the way the you know typical mid-majors want to play. They're going to take a lot of them. Um, and, and they're going to live and die with, with those results. 32.3 is, is a lot. That's ninth most in the country. So Carolina's got to be prepared, um, and they got to be they, – they got to they understand that in their eyes, there is not, there's not a bad three-pointer. Like 30 feet, they don't care. They're going to chuck it up because their math, their data tells them to do so. The good news is, is that even though Lehigh shot 40% the other night, Carolina's defended the three-point line very well this year because you've got multiple guys that you can use to defend. Um, and so if, if the starters struggle like they did the other day, you've got a Seth Trimble. You've got a Jalen Weathers that you can bring off the bench that will impact the game, add more length on that perimeter. I also expect to see Hubert Davis uh, full-court press more often because we've seen the the results where teams aren't getting the ball past the, time, past the timeline till 22 seconds on the clock. Now they're not getting into their offensive set till 12, 15 seconds. It makes it makes it easier to defend um, that action for uh, you know when it, when it's half the shot clock. And so, um, you know, to me, this is this will be determined if this game is close or if this game if this game's a rout. Like if Carolina defends the three point line and holds them less to 35% shooting, this game's probably over at the under four-minute mark of the first half. If UC Riverside is able to come in, get some clean looks, get some confidence, get some rhythm, this could be a game where they hang around into the second half. 
Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's hard to really expect that they're going to come out with any different sort of game plan. I mean, they're averaging about the same amount of three-point attempts as they are two-point attempts. So it's, it's a team that heavily relies on that shot, even though it's not going down early in the season. So... Yeah, that's going to be their game plan. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, the first two teams that you faced have had pretty good success against it. But I think, you know, for the most part, you go back to the Radford game uh, and and even, you know, when Lehigh was making their run, I don't think it was necessarily that they were getting wide open looks. It was just guys making tough shots from the outside. So for Carolina, look, you control what you can control about it. If this team goes off and, and, and has a crazy shooting night from the outside, whatever. Uh, they, they they played up to their competition and, you know, you're in the end, you should still probably be able to beat this team and probably beat them comfortably. But if you defend the three-point line with a team that's not, that, that is shooting less than 30% from beyond the arc, I really feel like it's going to make it a real tough night for this team. I don't think they have the physicality to handle Carolina inside, so uh, I, I think that that has to be one of the thoughts of, of Hubert Davis and his staff is is try to their best uh, to run this team off the three point line. The last key for me isn't even necessarily a key for this game. It's more of a key moving forward next week when we go to the Bahamas, and that's get Cormac Ryan and get Paxson Wojcik in rhythm on offense. Um, and look, the way Carolina's ran their offense the first two games through the big man. And then on Sunday, you saw a lot of R.J. Davis. You saw a lot of Harrison Ingram uh, in that second half. You know, they're the biggest, the big reason why those three guys are your double figures uh, averaging dudes. And no, this has nothing to do with my preseason prediction that all five stars would average double figures. Oh, but, of course not. You know, Carolina needs, they need them to be ready to score. And they're going to have to score at some point next week if Carolina's going to emerge victorious from that event. Um, you know, I think Ryan the other day was him playing and his 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 his, his experience show, uh, showing through because he realized I've got three other dudes going. I'm gonna let them. I'm I'm gonna be more of a uh, of a of a facilitator. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much the injury has impacted Paxson Wojcik. His minutes maybe have played a role in that, but where he has been the uh, the, the most sub starter of, of any of the five, he has definitely been the most passive. Um, and I think if that continues to be a trend, then the, the conversation around starting Elliot Cadeau is only going to ramp up. And I, I would I prefer that to happen more so as we get closer and closer to conference play. But this guy hit the first three of the year, you know, against Radford early in the game. Um, and so he he displayed right off the bat what he can do as a scorer. The other day, you know, not that he didn't impact the game defensively, but he wasn't looking to score. He didn't score until he went to the foul line deep in the second half when the result was already in hand. That needs to change. He doesn't need to force offense like his, you know, like 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 Leaky Blackwood at times a year ago. But he's a better offensive player. Um, he he can create offense for himself and for others. So um, this shouldn't be something that we need in this game. But it's more about building for next week. Cormac Ryan, Paxson Wojcik need to see the ball go through the basket a few times in this ball game. Well, it's what I said earlier. Uh, I, I really think it's it's about getting some confidence for your two best three-point shooters because you're going to run into teams here as we go along that are going to be able to handle you physically inside. I, I mean, just look at Tennessee. That's a team you're about to run into 
here in a, in a few weeks. And that's a team that, remember last year, what they did so well in the NCAA tournament, especially against Duke, they were incredibly physical. And I think that's one of the things. You know, Carolina's still, that's actually another thing that I'd like to see as well. I thought they did a better job with it the other day, but you saw it at times against Radford. There's been times where they struggle to finish inside through contact. You'd like to see that continue to get better. So, I mean, with teams that are going to be more physical, where they may let things go a little bit more in terms of the re- the referees um, and how they call the game, I think you need guys to be able to knock down shots from the outside. And these are your two best three-point shooters. Yeah, Harrison Ingram's a guy that uh, you know ha- has that ability to stretch the floor, knock down the three ball at a pretty consistent rate. Same thing with R.J. Davis. But these are two guys that that's really their strongest suit when it comes to the offensive end of the floor, especially Wojcik. That that was that that was what he was supposed to do, be a guy that uh, w- was a three-point shooter, could play some good defense for you, and could rebound. Um, and I think, as you said, you've seen some passive moments from him where I don't know if it's just that he's second-guessing himself. Um, you know, th- Again, to, for him, more than any of the other transfers as well, it could be that the game is moving pretty fast for him because – you're going from two mid-major programs that he was at previously to playing for a major conference program, and not just any major conference program. It's North Carolina. So for him, I think it's a it's a pretty significant step up, and maybe he's just needed a little bit of time to settle in. You know, same thing with Cormac Ryan being in a new spot as well. Uh, but yeah, you'd like to see them sort of get into a little bit of rhythm, uh, especially if, if, if you're wanting to win that Battle for Atlantis tournament. It's not the end of the world if they don't win it, but at the same time, it would feel like a really big step for this team early in the season if they could go there and come away with a, a, a tournament championship. And I think it's more than possible because I don't think that this is the most loaded battle for Atlantis Field we've ever seen. So hopefully this game can serve as sort of that confidence booster. Carolina enters with a 95.6% chance to win, according to ESPN Analytics, who wins and why. Well, I think it's Carolina, um, and I think they do so pretty comfortably. I I think this game is over uh, at the under-16 timeout of the second half. I I just – this this UC Riverside team is not good. This might be the worst team Carolina plays all year. Um, I mean, when you barely beat an NAIA school – I, it's it's tough to see you coming into the Smith Center and competing with Carolina. I think you know they're, they're going to be in even more of a rhythm. I I think you'll start to see them play even better as they start to play games more consistently. I mean, you got to think what first game that they played, they then take six days off. Then they turn around, and what has it been since Sunday? I guess technically five days off until they play their next game again on on, on Friday. So, I mean, that's a little – you'd like to play a little bit more often to try to get yourself in a little bit of a rhythm. That being said, I just – to me, there's no way they're going to be able to stop Carolina inside, whether it's the guards getting downhill or Mondo dominating. I think Carolina wins this game by 30-plus. I think they dominate UC Riverside. Yeah, I, I, I obviously expect Carolina to win the game, and I'm with you, I think. 
I think it's 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 their most dominant win via the final score, uh, more so than what we've seen so far against Radford and, of course, on Lehigh on Sunday. Well, this is going to wrap up this edition of the podcast. Guys, before we let you go, we do encourage you guys to visit the website. That's HealToughBlog.com. We'll be getting you ready for Carolina and UC Riverside Friday, 8 p.m. on the ACC Network. There will be a preview of the game and, of course, a recap posted the night of football this weekend at Clemson. Still with an outside shot to make the ACC title game. We'll have you covered on the website as well with the preview, recap, injury updates, and so much more. As for the podcast, guys, you know where to find us. Every major podcasting platform, just simply search the Four Corners Podcast and we will pop up. We're there. We do encourage you guys to rate, review, and subscribe. That way you don't miss any game preview, recap, interview. We had Marcus Ginyard on earlier in the week. We got Pete Chilcutt coming on later in the week. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss any additions throughout the basketball season. Well, with that, guys, this is going to wrap up this edition of the show. I do want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. We want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. Guys, it just doesn't get any sweeter than that.